morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. Today we are winding up a three-part series on that elusive thing that all of us are chasing, and that thing is peace. Uh, before we get started, let me kind of highlight a couple of things that I think some of you might need to know. Some of you may have been disappointed because you showed up a little early to get biscuit and gravy pizza. <laughs> That was my attempt at an April Fool's joke, okay? So anyway, I had another one that I was a little bit scared to try, but anyway, that was not a real thing. But let me invite you, next Sunday, we will have a continental breakfast all morning long, and you can come and you can enjoy that on Easter Sunday, so that's next Sunday. But the biscuit and gravy pizza was my attempt at an April Fool's, okay? So anyway, I didn't have anybody get me yesterday that I know of, so anyway, again, that was my attempt at an April Fool's. Let me also remind you that this Friday, today's the beginning of Holy week. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, on Friday noon here at Crossroads, we have our Good Friday service. You, your family, friends, co-workers are invited to that. It, happened, it happens at 12 noon. And again, lunch is provided after the service. If you can't stay for the, for the, for the lunch portion, we will have to go boxes and you'll be able to take that with you. This afternoon at four o'clock, uh, we have Easter jam for our kids from Mama Land and Upstreet. It's actually inside Again, you never know when you're planning things ahead of time what the weather's going to be, and March and April are kind of dicey, so we opted to do something inside. So again, it will be here in the auditorium 4 to 5.30. It's a safe environment, a controlled environment. So again, we would strongly encourage you to be here if you have children. Now, for those that have been here, <clears throat> you're the ones that are going to know that we built uh, the last couple of weeks and today, uh, we've kind of built uh, these this series of messages on a foundation, on a guiding concept or a guiding principle, uh, because we've been talking about peace. How do we find peace in different areas of our life? And, and I want to give you the foundation for those that may not know it this morning. The foundation is really just a sentence, and I'm going to put it on the screen behind me so that you can see it. And here it is. The secret to discovering unexplainable peace is for you and I to learn to wholeheartedly surrender. Finding peace actually comes through surrender. Finding that thing that all of us are chasing, but very few of us are finding peace, it actually comes through surrender. And if you were here the first week of this series, we were looking at surrender and we were talking about peace and how, you know, we can actually find that peace in our circumstances. And again, in that very first week, we talked about how worry is that thing that wants to challenge us and try to rob us of our peace. So again, if you're somebody who's going through something right now and there's anxiety and there's worry and there's stress, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to the message from two weeks ago. And then last weekend, we talked about how this principle helps us work through conflict so that we're able to find peace in our relationships. Because again, one of the places where we are ill-equipped, or none of us are equipped very well, is how to deal with conflict and how to actually find peace in our relationships. Because again, there's family relationships, business relationships, friendships, and again, there's oftentimes conflict. And how do we deal with that? Well, we're going to wrap this up today and talk about a principle, uh, how this principle can apply in what I believe is an ever-increasing non-Christian world. So really, we're talking about peace, and here's the question that we're asking. How do we find peace when people believe differently than we do? Now, let me just help you understand how do we find peace when people believe differently than we do? This message was planned weeks ago. And in light of what has happened this week, this is the concept that we're talking about. Because again, you, you need not look at the news or social media without finding people who find themselves on one side of an issue and people who find themselves on the other side of the issue. So how do we find peace with people who believe differently than we do? Now let me just go ahead and tell you that, that a lot of what I'm saying today has been learned, taught, 
imparted into my life by people who I listen to, people I admire, people I read, people I discover and uh, have discovered, and people who, you know, are theologically wider and deeper and, and way smarter than I am. So I would strongly be wrong if I didn't tell you this morning. I can't take credit for all of the things that I'm going to tell you this morning because a lot of this stuff I have read, learned, and studied from other people. It's, it's interesting, though, that when I thought about this, you know, I thought about when I was growing up, and, and I will tell you this morning, uh, I was incredibly lucky to have parents who made sure that I was in church. I was incredibly lucky to have parents who, who, who taught me about Jesus, and, and at the very same time, they made sure that every time the church door was open, I was in church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I mean it was a push, pull, or drag. You were going to be in church. That's just the way I was raised. And again, initially, like some of you, I didn't like that. But over time, I wanted to be in church. And I'm equally thankful for the different churches that, that I was allowed to be a part of as a child, as a kid, as a teenager. And, I, and I'm thankful for a lot of the things that I took away from those churches. And the reason I say that this morning is because in just a minute, I don't want to come across as somebody who is really negative as it relates to the things that I'm about to say. Because it was being raised in the church and around the church that helped to get me to where I am this morning. But I will tell you, and I want you to hear what I'm saying, if I am told, and I will always be honest with you. And this morning... Being honest with you means that I have to tell you that I believe that I'm still carrying baggage with me today as a result of some of the things that happened to me in the church. Now, for those that may not know my story, I was, I was called to be in ministry when I was a senior in high school. And I was involved in a local church that was thriving at the time, but I will tell you that because of some of the things and some of the way people were treated in that church, I told God, you can, I mean, I'm not doing it. I mean, I'm 17 years old, I start college, and I start pursuing the call that God has on my life. And I saw the way that people were being treated in the church by the church, and I said, you know, God, I don't want any part of that. But don't miss this. Even though that was my reaction, the fact that I did not follow God's call on my life was not their fault. It was my fault. I put off calling, uh, doing what God had, following God and doing what God had called me to do because of what I saw other people do. And it just caused me to run, to run from ministry, to run from God, and to run from the things that he had for me. And see, here's the thing. Where I'm at now, I, I love the benefit of the rearview mirror. I can look back and see a lot of things about the church that I was involved in, the churches. It was just two churches. And you know one of the things I discovered about the church that I was involved in, the church I grew up in? This is going to surprise some of you. We were against everything. I mean, think about it. We were against the Democrats. We were against Disney. We were against alcohol. We were against gambling. We were against businesses being open on Sunday. I mean, we were against everything. But even though we were against everything, I have to stand up here and tell you, I've got to give the church some credit. Because the church was really good at telling people what they were against. They were really good at telling everyone what they were against. And not just what they were against, why they were against it. I mean, think about it. We were good at voting certain ways. We were good at getting people to sign up and, and, and get on petitions generally creating this momentum to get values and restoring those values back into the culture. In short, I'm just going to tell you, listen, 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 listen. The church I grew up in 
became really good at making a point. And although some of the points that our church was making at that time, the church I grew up in, although some of those points were really, really silly, some of those points were good. Some of those points were great points. But see, I have this fear that over time, what has happened to the church is that over time, we have started focusing so much on the points that we're trying to make to people that we have actually forgotten the people that we're trying to make the points to. Very little changed because of our well-communicated points. Nobody cared about our points. See, the only people who cared about the points that we were trying to make were the people who already believed in the points that we were trying to make. Nobody else cared. I recall a lunch that I had with a friend of mine who is kind of no longer in ministry, but still, still kind of is. It's, that's a whole other story, okay? But uh, we used to have lunch about every other week, and it was always refreshing because... I could get together with him and ministerially speaking, I could throw up on him and he could throw up on me. You know, I mean, that's kind of what, you know, you just got to have somebody to do that with, right? And he said, Randy, he said, I got to tell you this story. He said, I don't remember what brought the story up, but he said, you know, when I was young and I had started in ministry, I was a student pastor. And he said, you know, you know, in, in, the, in those days, and we still do some crazy things these days, but he said we had a prayer wall. And on this prayer wall, we had put these sticky notes with the names of these people that we had been praying for, these boys that we had been praying to come to church. And we had been praying and praying and praying. These guys don't go to church. They're out in the community. We were praying that they would come to church and said one Sunday night they showed up at church and answered to our prayer. But it was a disaster. Because think about it. Even the church people don't come on Sunday night. You think Sunday morning is bad? Sunday night is a whole nother level of bad. You know what I'm saying? And again, they show up on Sunday night and they come through the doors of the auditorium and a deacon spots them. Because they had hats on. And the deacon went right up to them and said, boys, stop right there. You're not coming into this house because in this house we worship the Lord and you're going to have to take your hat off. And he said, Randy, I saw it happen. Those boys turned around and walked right out. The very thing that we had been praying for Had happened. But what was burned in my memory was watching the people that I had prayed would show up to church turn around and walk right out of the church. Now think about that. Because right there in that moment, that deacon made a point. But you know what he didn't make? He didn't make a difference. So this is why this is important to me. There comes a time when we, listen, listen, when we as followers of Jesus Christ have got to reach a crossroads. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Do you want to make a point Or do you want to make a difference? Now think about that. Because again, when you think about that, I'm just going to tell you right up front, it's really easy to make a point. It's really easy to make a point. Before you answer that question, you just need to understand, it's a whole lot easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. Because see, here's the thing. It takes courage to make a difference. It takes time to make a difference. 
It takes intentionality to make a difference. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. The the jury is still out on the life of this church and on my life. But I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to ensure that Crossroads Church in Lebanon, Tennessee is a community that is more interested in making a difference than we will ever be interested in making a point. That's what we need to be. Now, now people are going to say, they're going to criticize me. And I, I know this. I've, uh, again, this just the whole thing that's going on in our community in Nashville and here. I, 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 again, this was planned ahead of time. Not, it's not a response to, it was planned before. But people are going to say to me, Randy, you're, just, you're, you're trying to get us to change. You want us to be another way because of something that happened to you in your life. You want us to change because you had a bad church experience when you are younger, and then you're trying to get us to go over here to the opposite side. No, that's not the truth at all. As a matter of fact, that could not be further from the truth. Can I tell you what I want you to do? I just want you to be more like Jesus. I just want our church to be more like Jesus. That's the bottom line. The bottom line is that you and I and this church would be more like Jesus. Because when you think about it, this whole idea is something that Jesus and the Apostle Paul, they, they did it really well. I mean, Jesus and the Apostle Paul, they, listen, listen, don't, don't take this and run with it, but they knew how to make a point. And Jesus and Paul, they could make a point when they wanted to. But if you look at the heart behind the ministry of Jesus and the Apostle Paul, you're going to see that the heart of their ministry was more interested in making a difference than it was ever interested in making a point. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to give you four ways that are worthy of writing down if you have a pen and a paper or your Bible and you can write it in there and make a note. Four ways that I believe I can help you from the Scripture make a difference. Let me give you the first one. You should lean directionally toward people that you disagree with. Guns. Politics, sexuality, finances. You should lean directionally toward those people that you disagree with the most. I I told you this series basically was born out of the fact that, that I would leave my house and come to the church or come to the office or come to town and I would pass multiple flags that people had in their yards or on their houses and I could see the flags and I knew what the flag stood for and I knew those people believe something diametrically opposite of what I believe. But see, Scripture tells me that I should lean intentionally toward the people that I disagree with the most. I mean, think about Jesus. Whom did Jesus agree with the most? Theologically speaking, he agreed more with the Pharisees than he did with the pagans. Now think about this. He agreed more with the Pharisees than he did with the the sinners, but who did he invest his time in? Most of the time, he was investing his time in the people that were far from God. Because why? He wanted to make a difference. His goal was to make a difference instead of making a point. Look with me this morning, Luke 19. Here's what we find Dr. Luke recording. Here's what he says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. Come on now, for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. 
For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. See, here's the thing I want you to see out of what we just read. People who were nothing like Jesus are the people who like Jesus. Now think about that. People who were nothing like Jesus were actually the people who liked Jesus. Let's read on. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Do you notice what Jesus didn't do? He didn't get in his face and said, you filthy tax collector. He didn't get in, in, in the face of Zacchaeus and say, tax collecting is wrong. Ha! I made a point. He didn't do that. Because there's something in this story that I think we need to see and that we need to understand. And that's this. Sometimes you need to connect with people before you can actually teach people. Sometimes you need to connect with people before you can actually make a point. Let me, let, me, let me put it another way. I'm going to put it on the screen so you see this and so you understand this. Jesus allowed for people to belong before they actually believed. Jesus allowed for people to belong before they actually believed. Look at verse 7. All the people saw this, the church people, and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, that probably made it on the prayer chain at church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so the Pharisees, the Pharisees show up and they say, he's not making a point. He's not making a point. But look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me tell you, again, when there are people in your life who believe differently than you do, you are charged as a follower of Jesus to intentionally lean in their direction. But here's the second thing I want you to see. You can't fear guilt by association. See, some of you don't want to be with those people or lean into those people because you fear that you'll be associated with those people. You can't fear guilt by association. You can't live with the fear of being associated with those people. If you become like one of us, then you can join us. How many times did Jesus ever say that? Never. Jesus never said that because you can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Who was the group in the Scripture that was more concerned with guilt by association? It was the Pharisees. And what was the reputation of Jesus? Jesus was what? A friend of sinners. Did it bother Jesus? No. But what did Jesus do? Jesus spent all of his time with tax collectors and sinners. Well, if you spend time with tax collectors and sinners, aren't you condoning that? No. But Jesus, if you spend time with tax collectors and sinners, aren't you afraid that people are going to misunderstand your message? No. He wasn't afraid of that at all. You can't fear guilt by association. Look at Galatians chapter 2. The Jews showed up. Peter didn't want anybody to find out that he was with the Gentiles. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 2. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. 
for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Excuse me. He was afraid of criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by that very hypocrisy. Now think about this. So Peter is ministering and, you know, having association with the Gentiles. And then the Jews show up, and he doesn't want the Jews to know he's been associating with the Gentiles because Peter is afraid of guilt by association. And Paul gets all over him. Paul gets up in his grill. Why? He calls him a hypocrite. Why? Because we're not here to please the people that already agree with us. Did you hear what I said? We're not here to please the people who already agree with us. Guilt by association was not an issue. Why? Because you can't influence people without association. Did you hear me? You can't influence people without associating with them. It's, it, it's impossible. And I'm going to tell you, Crossroads, listen to what I'm saying this morning. You can stand behind your theologically accurate walls and lob truth grenades all day long if you want to. But let me tell you, when you stand behind your theological walls and hurl those truth, truth grenades over the wall at people who are different from you, you're never going to make a difference. You will never make a difference. So you have to associate it with people who believe differently than you do. Here's the third point. Don't pass judgment on non-Christians for acting like non-Christians. I mean, think about it. We're really good at this in the church. What business is it of mine to judge people outside the church? Of course they sleep together. Of course they stumbled in drunk last night. See, we're so good at policing behavior of people outside the church that we don't do good at taking care of our stuff inside the church. Look at Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Can I tell you what most churches do? Most churches have conversations that are full of salt and seasoned with grace. Sinner, 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 bad, 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 but Jesus loves you and Jesus will save you. Sinner, 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 bad, 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 Jesus loves you. Let me ask you this. Is there any wonder people don't like the church? Is there any wonder people don't like the church? We need to take care of our business. We need to work on our spiritual issues. Don't worry about it. You, you can't blame non-Christians for acting like non-Christians. Here's the fourth thing. Surrender your agenda and serve the people that God puts in your path. Because, see, here's the thing. If you, if you, if you look at the early church, yes, amen and amen. <laughs> if you look at the early church, they did something that was absolutely crazy. Now, think about it. The early church had no money, no political clout, no platform. But do you realize in 300 years, they toppled everything? They changed it all. And they did it not by making a point, but they did it by making a difference. See, the early church, listen, I mean, Google it. You can find it, I'm sure. Be careful with that, though. You have to really be careful. 
But the early church would find babies that had been abandoned, and they would bring those babies into families in the church, and they would say, now you're our baby. That was the early church. You know what else they would do? Uh, a Christian marriage in the Roman Empire was the safest place for a woman to be. Christian people at that time were the best people to employ. See, the Christian church would get together, the early church would get together, and in that church, li listen to this, there would be a slave and a master, but in the church, th those people would be equal in the shadow of the cross. Look at 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Look at verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak malicely or maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. See, the idea here is that you and I should have, we should be so full of Jesus that when a mosquito bites us, he starts singing, there's power in the blood. <laughs> we should be so full of Jesus that people look at us and they start wondering, what the heck has he got? And they're so intrigued by you and your faith and the way that you live your life that they come to you and they ask you, what is it that you have? Now, let me get in your business a minute. Has anybody asked you that lately? Has anybody asked you because they've looked at your life about the hope that you have? See, let me tell you why Christianity took off. There were three major plagues in 300 years following the book of Acts. There were days that 5,000 corpses a day would be collected and removed from the streets in a day. There were more Christians left after those plagues because those Christian people would not abandon their family and their friends. They would nurse their family and their friends back to health. Listen to this. They would nurse the pagans back to health. And you know what would happen as a result of nursing the pagans, the unbelievers, back to health? Christianity began to grow because the pagans would be converted to Christianity because of the goodness of the Christians. The Bishop of Alexandria said this. Most of our brother Christians showed up, showed unabounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. But the heathen, the pagan, the unbeliever, behaved in the very opposite way. Because at the onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses like they were dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread of the contagion of that fatal disease or that plague. A couple of emperors after Constantine there was an emperor named Julian who was going to try to really bring this revival of paganism back to the Roman Empire because, honestly, Christianity had taken a hold of the empire. And again, the Roman Empire was not doing so well. So Julian decided since things aren't going well, that the reason why things aren't going well for the pagan worship was because they had avoided the worship or they had abandon the worship of Jupiter. To start this revival, he wants to go back to pagan worship. But here's a fraction of what he wrote in a letter and why he was upset that paganism wasn't catching back on. 
He says recent Christian growth is caused by their moral character. We need to take, take a look here. Recent Christian growth is caused by their moral ca- character, even if it's pretended, and by their benevolence towards strangers. Do you know what he says, what he doesn't say here? He doesn't say anything about the amazing preaching. He doesn't say anything about the amazing worship. He doesn't say anything about the fog machine or the lights. He doesn't say anything about the theology. It's by their moral character. It's by their benevolence to other people. He said, I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the pagan priest, these Galileans observed, the Christians, these Galileans observed, observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The Galileans not only serviced and took care of their poor and supported them, but they supported ours as well. And everyone could see that our people lacked aid from us. This is a pagan emperor who's saying that the reason why paganism would not catch back on and pick back up is because of the generosity and benevolence of the Christians. That's the emperor's take on why he can't get paganism to start growing again. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you how important this is in the day and time in which we live. Because I know right now this is going to be a politically charged year. How do we transform our country? Let me tell you how we don't do it. It's not by making a point. But it's by making a difference. Because as, listen, listen, listen. As a follower of Jesus, the only thing that you're supposed to impose on a non-believer is your generosity. That's the only thing that you're supposed to impose on somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. That's you just love them and be generous to them and be benevolent to them. That's the only thing you're supposed to impose is your generosity. I mean, just imagine that those of us who are followers of Jesus, what if we outgave and outloved and outserved everyone out there in this pagan world? What if we never compromise the gospel? But all of us in this room and those watching and listening online, we said, you know what? We're going to set out to make a difference and not make a point. We're going to make a difference and not a point. So as I conclude this morning, I just want to go ahead and tell you. It's going to sound a little crazy to some of you that I think this message could cost me. In a big way. Because see, look look right here. There, There are people listening online and there are people watching online who, and we bless them and we welcome them, but... There are people here in this auditorium who have, who have heard what I have had to say. And you're going to leave here and you're going to go to Zaxby's. You're going to go to Demas's. You're going to sit around the table and you're going to talk about this message. People are going to take little bits and pieces of this message and the things that I've had to say. And it's going to get quoted and replayed over and over. And can I just tell you, I know this. I'm prepared for this. I got the whole armor of God on. You know what I'm saying? I know this message is going to be used against me. I even kind of think it may be far-fetched, but there may be somebody in this service or the last service who says, you know what, based on what he said and the way he said it, I don't want to be a part of that church anymore. Because maybe you don't agree with me. So you ask the question, why would I say it? Why would I I take the risk of telling you this? And I'll tell you, because one day my life is going to be done. And you know what I want my kids to be able to say? 
they're going to have lots of stuff to say, okay? Trust me. But you know, when it comes down to the biggest thing that I want them to be able to say to other people, he wasn't really concerned about making a point. My dad wanted to make a difference. He wanted to make a difference. More than he wanted to make a point. So let me ask you a question this morning as we walk into this Easter week, Holy Week. Do you know somebody who needs Jesus? Is there somebody in your life right now that you know needs Jesus? Is there somebody in your life that you would say, Randy, I am concerned for this person's spiritual well-being? Can I just ask you, would you just raise your hand? How many of us have at least one person like that? One person. Go ahead. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not going to make you come down and do anything. But you have one person that in, that's in your life, a child, a, a stepchild, a friend, a business associate, that you're concerned with their spiritual well-being. You put your hand down. But let me tell you, if you have at least one person in your life that you're concerned about that person's spiritual well-being, can I just tell you what you're hoping You're hoping that there's somebody in that person's life that is more intent in making a difference than they would ever be intent on making a point. You hope that there's somebody who knows them and loves them so much. And that person in their life is so passionate about Jesus that that person stays up at night thinking, God, what is some way that I can get this person together with Jesus? That's what you're hoping. You're hoping that there's somebody in that person's life that is bent on getting them to Christ. Because, see, here's something I've started to notice lately. A lot of us equate spiritual maturity with reading our Bible and praying and listening to, you know, Caleb, Christian music, going to teachings, Beth Moore, Lisa Harper, people like that. There's nothing bad about that. But see, we we look at all the things that we do and we check all those things off and we think, you know what? I'm really starting to get spiritually mature. I'm I'm really doing really well when it comes to my maturity. I'm doing great. But see, a lot of those people that I see doing those things, their hearts, especially for those people who are far from God, have started to grow colder a little more year after year after year. But you see, searching for people who are far from God, that's something that Jesus did. He did that in addition to being spiritually mature. Searching for people far from God is precisely what he did because he was spiritually mature. And I'm going to tell you this morning, there's no, listen, 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 there's no greater adventure than pointing people to Jesus. No greater adventure than you taking the time to make a difference in somebody's life and then direct them to Jesus. But let me tell you, it takes time. And you don't control the outcome. And it will break your heart. And it will be frustrating. And oftentimes, it's really messy. But God will be at work. And God will be faithful. And God will open doors. And when you walk through those doors that God opens, 
eternities will be changed. Do you want to make a difference? Or do you want to make a point? My prayer this morning is that this message, as we conclude this series, has fallen on good ground in your life. And that that seed will take root. And that you'll leave here today with a different perspective than when you came in. Because that's who I want you to be. I want you to be like Jesus. Intent on making a difference in the lives of unbelievers. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, sometimes you pull to the surface some of the most difficult topics for us to talk about. And it's because you want to do something different in our lives. You want to do something new. You break us, you crush us, you you bring out of us something good. And it takes time and it takes a process. And it's something that you can only do by your spirit. And it's something, God, that I believe you are starting today on Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, in the life of this church and in the life of these people. Help us to understand that it's possible to live with people who believe differently than we do. But we can't do it our way. We have to do it the Jesus way, which we've outlined today through Scripture. In, in, in my opinion, what Scripture says and how I can be a better person and make a difference in the life of somebody else. Whether they're Republican, Democrat, gay or straight, black or white, pro-gun or anti-gun, pro-abortion or anti-abortion. I can lean directly towards them be good and benevolent and generous to them so much so that it creates in them a question about what it is that I have and it's Jesus beginning and end Jesus God we thank you for this time break us crush us do what only you can do as we ask this prayer in Jesus name amen
Bring new wine. 